You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. The rest of you can take out your Bibles and open up to John chapter 7, verse 37. So we're going to transition this morning in this series into talking uh, about the river aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And by that, we're talking about that aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry that is uh, referenced by Jesus as a river flowing out of us. It is that part of his ministry. Oh, I see there's some problems on this first slide already. Not that one, the next one. Um, I'll just explain why there are weird little little things in this. It's because uh, in my Bible program, when you copy and paste into your notes, wherever there was... uh, wherever there were quotation marks and things like that, they put in this little, whatever that is, an A and a weird, it's some kind of code. Anyway, just ignore those. I usually try and delete those and put in quotation marks. So Jesus referenced this part, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the the Holy Spirit as he would come upon people in Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost, um, as he described it, as a, that there would be a river of living water that would flow out of believers. So let's just read it here, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. It says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, notice those words, we're going to talk about that. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone, is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Just a couple things on the front of this. This is going to be important as we dig into what we're going to talk about today. This term, anyone. Jesus is making clear the feast that he was that he stood up in the middle of and 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 spoke here was the feast of tabernacles and that's what we're going to talk about to some degree today i cannot do justice to all that that feast uh encompassed i can't it it's massive this was a there were there is massive meaning to this festival and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute But one of the ideas within this festival is it looked forward to the final harvest of all believers for all time from all places. And and so Jesus is saying here, this is for anyone and everyone. This isn't just for the Jews. This is for anyone who would put faith in me. Anyone, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, the scripture said, streams or rivers of living water will flow from within him. All right. And so there's this issue here too, and I just want to touch on it. It says, if anyone is thirsty, there is an issue for us as believers of developing and maintaining a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. There, there are people who, um, as far as I know, have have accepted Jesus as Savior, 
but don't seem to have any hunger for the things of God and how much we receive from God. It's not that God's withholding, but how much we draw, how much we receive does depend to a degree on, do we have a hunger? Do we have a thirst? Do we come to him and ask? He says it in so many different ways throughout the scripture. And the interesting thing about spiritual hunger and thirst, and we've taught on this before, is that in the natural, we eat, we get satisfied. In the spirit realm, we eat or drink, we get satisfied and hungrier and thirstier at the same time. There's a satisfaction that comes, but our hunger and our thirst just grows. A lot of times, if you're not feeling hungry for God, it's because you're not coming and eating. You're not coming and tasting. You're not coming and taking a drink of his spirit very often. And we just sort of get to where we're not, we're no longer hungry. It's, a, it's kind of the opposite of what happens in the natural. So, so he stands up, it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast. All right, so the backdrop of Jesus standing up and making this proclamation about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would happen at the day of Pentecost uh, the backdrop of that is the Feast of Tabernacles. The, the Jews celebrated, there were biblically given to them seven festivals, four in the spring, three in the fall. Uh, and and they, were to, they were to hold these feasts to the Lord, these times of worship. Each one was specific. They were to hold them every year. Throughout their history, there were times where they abandoned that, just like they abandoned <clears throat> the word of God. And then somebody would pick up the word of God, Nehemiah for one, uh, they would, or during that time, they'd pick up the word of God and they would discover that, oh, we were supposed to be doing this all along. <clears throat> and they would begin to celebrate these festivals again. But each one of these festivals is filled with meaning, uh, filled with, just, just in the same way that the, the design of the tabernacle that God gave was detailed and that each detail of that tabernacle in some way spoke of Christ and spoke of who he was and what he would do. In that same way, each of these feasts was this way. And each of these feasts would remind Israel of uh, something that God had done in the past. I think this is pretty cool. It would harken back to something he did in their history. And it would point forward to something that Jesus would do, something that the Messiah would be and do. And many times, including this feast, would, would harken forward beyond that to something that will take place in the millennial reign or something that will take place uh, once this whole thing is wrapped up. This feast was the very last feast of the year. So every one of these was prophetic, all right? This feast was the last of these three fall festivals. There were harvests in Israel that happened in the spring. There were grain harvests. And, and at those times, there were certain feasts that went on. Then there were fruit harvests in the fall. And this feast was the very last feast that spoke of the full harvest, all of the harvest that had happened throughout the year, everything that God had done. And this feast, this festival, to them, I, I mean, I, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but, you know, in a few weeks here, uh, we're going to celebrate Easter, the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. 
Well, that Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead during, there, there's a series of, of three festivals that go on in the spring. We're most familiar with Passover. Okay, well, this feast was bigger than Passover. And think about that. The meaning for us is it's, it's the time that, that the lamb was slain for us, the blood was poured out. Uh, we, we uh, for Israel, it looked back to when they came out of Egypt, the blood over the doorpost, the death angel going past, all of that. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, right? This festival was bigger than that one. This festival was bigger than Pentecost. This festival, this, this one really gets me. The one right before this was the Day of Atonement. And, and so that, I mean, that was where the high priest took the blood of the lamb into the Holy of Holies and poured it out on the mercy seat, covering Israel's sin for another year. And of course, the picture of that for us is found in the book of Hebrews, that our lamb went into the Holy of Holies in heaven with his blood once for all and poured that out for the sin of the whole world. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. This feast was a festival of joy and celebration because I, I, this is, this, from my perspective, this is what I think. It is because from God's perspective, while obviously he had a festival that they practiced every year, every one of those things was essential. But this feast speaks of this full harvest and God finally being able to permanently and perfectly dwell with and in his people. And to God, that's where his heart has been since the day that sin entered the garden. And so this festival, they, they called it the season of our rejoicing. They had different, they, many later, they just called it the feast. And everybody knew which feast they were talking about. It was a huge feast. And this is where, and when we say feast, it wasn't just a bunch of eating, okay? You know, it was a worship festival for seven days. And, and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of that. But right before this, this happens in around our month uh, of October. And basically, uh, October 10th or thereabouts is the Day of Atonement. And that feast, which is prior to this one, looks back to when Moses came down from the mountain with the second set of tablets. Remember, he went up into the presence of God. God actually wrote out the commandments himself on stone tablets. Those would have been cool to have. Moses came down, and in the meantime, Israel had decided, we don't know what happened. He was up there 40 days, but still, they decided, we don't know what happened to him, and, and they made the golden calf, and they started worshiping that. All that happened. And he came down, and he broke those, those tablets. And then they went through a series of things, and the Lord and Moses interceded for Israel. God was ready to be done with them. Moses interceded for Israel. They received the Lord's forgiveness. He went back up, and he received the second set of tablets, but he had to write those. And, and to me, that just says they lost something. Even though God forgave them and they still got the commandments and they still went on, they lost something there. 
I, I would really like to have the ones that God inscribed with his own finger. Uh, but at any rate, they came down. And so, the, so when he came down with that second set, then that was understood as there had been repentance, which is the feast two back from the one we're talking about, time of deep repentance, judgment, redemption, and then forgiveness. And so he came down with those tablets. They were established in this place where, where God was receiving them back. And tradition says the next day, all right, he gave, Moses gave the instructions for the tabernacle. And the point of the instructions for the tabernacle is that it was how the, the method God could use under that covenant to dwell with his people. So again, here we see the heart of God is to dwell with his people. It's what he's always wanted. All right, does this make sense to you? So, so he came down. So, so the way the, the feasts go on around October 10th, it's the day of atonement and that um, it's a time of deep repentance and, and all of this. And then on October, about October 15th, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles begins, and it's a seven-day feast. And it marks the gathering of the full harvest. So they're celebrating all the harvest that came in. It's a time of extreme joy and rejoicing. It is a time where they remember God's provision for them when they were in the desert. So each, each person or family builds a little hut. And I know people that still do this. Uh, they build a little hut. And, and they live outside. By this time, of course, they're living in, in houses. And instead, they live out in this, this hut that used to be made of branches, willow branches, covered with palm branches, that kind of thing. And that reminds them they didn't always have houses. They didn't always have permanent dwellings. It reminds them of God's goodness. And it reminds them of his, you need to get this, his presence his protection, and his provision when they were in the desert. Presence, protection, provision. It's going to come up over and over and over as we look at this. And again, I'm just giving you a sketch. If you, if you dig out some books that talk about this and from born-again Jewish people that understand the feast and understand how it speaks of Christ, it's phenomenal what is wrapped up in this one feast. It, and, and so... They would build these booths. They, they put these branches over their leafy branches so you could still see through them. And they say that that spoke of the Shekinah glory that was over the camp of Israel during their time in the desert. There's just imagery in everything that they did. And they would live outside for seven days. And each day, there would be this massive celebration of rejoicing and worship and they would sing psalms and they would dance and they would take, the people would take palm branches and willow branches and a certain set of designated priests uh, would go and they would cut these willow branches that were to be about 25 feet long. They were, I've never seen willows that big, but that's what they say. So they would cut these willow branches. They would go ahead of this joyful, exuberant, worshiping uh, procession of believers. And, and they would go 
uh, to the to the temple area in Jesus' day, and they would be waving those branches in the air, and each day they would circle the altar one time. And honestly, I'm not certain, maybe you know, I'm not certain if the water festival that was going on at this point happened each day of the feast or if it was just on the seventh day. But they would have this big procession every day. They would go to the altar. There were specific sacrifices that had to be made. All of this would go on. And then on the last day that they called the greatest day of the feast, they called it the great salvation is the way that they termed it. On that day, those priests would go, they would gather those branches, people would come with their branches, and they would wave all of that in the air, and they say that the sound of it was like a rushing wind, and they would circle the altar seven times on that day, making all this sound of rushing wind. And, and then there were some other priests, I think just two, that would go to the pool of Siloam and they would, the one would draw out a jar of water and the other would draw out, would have wine. Okay, so it, so it symbolizes the blood, it symbolizes wine. You know, actually both wine and water, both throughout the scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit. Wine throughout the scripture speaks of joy, go figure. Okay, and, and, it, and it is that joy of the Holy Spirit. Of course, there's also the image of, of blood, but there was sacrifice being made for that. But when they took the water out of the pool of Siloam in that jar, they actually called that living water. They were bringing living water. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let me see what I've uh, missed here. I think, I've, I think I'm doing okay, it looks like. So they would bring this water and this wine. Let me just remind you of this verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right, so there's this correlation in, in the Scripture between being filled with the Spirit and, and joy and not overdone, okay, in this Scripture. Don't get drunk on wine. But the idea is instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So what these priests would do at this, this part of the uh, festival, this is so cool. They would bring that water and uh, that wine. And on the, on the corners of the altar, there were bowls that were set. And the bowls had holes in them. And so they would pour the water and they would pour the wine. And re- remember that too, when they remember when Jesus was on the cross and they stabbed him with a spear and it says blood and water it came out. Anyway, uh, they, would, they would pour this into these bowls. And the point being the bowls couldn't hold what was being poured in. The water and the wine would flow out. The, the cleansing water, the... Uh, uh, and the and the joy and all that it would flow out. The bowls couldn't hold what was being poured into them. That is a good picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into us like a well, when we're born again, He's in us. And we've talked a lot, not 
we could could have gone on for weeks, but we've talked a lot about what he does in us and how he ministers to us. But when the Holy Spirit comes on us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can't contain that. And in the same way, from the altar, this water and this wine would flow out from the altar. We can think of that altar for us as, as symbolizing Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2, talks about us making our lives a living sacrifice, giving our bodies, submitting our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It, it, the idea of that altar, it's a place of sacrifice. It's a place that for us can symbolize, you know, we as believers, there is sacrifice involved in following Jesus. It's not sacrifice for sin. That's been done. We can't do anything to make up for our own sin. There's Jesus has done everything that will ever be done about sin. All right, but there the Bible talks to us about a sacrifice of praise. Meaning when we don't feel like it, we praise God anyway because he's always good and we always have a reason to praise. There is Jesus talked about that his followers uh, would have to deny themselves, deny their flesh, and take up their cross and follow him. That's a sacrifice. That's a place of sacrifice. The idea of a fully yielded, submitted life to the Lord, that's a sacrifice. The love of God sent his son to die from, for us as a sacrifice. When we're moving the love of God, there are times when we have to set aside our own stuff to actually exhibit the love of God. We have to put somebody else in front of us. We have to consider somebody else's needs higher than our own. That's a sacrifice. You being here this morning is a sacrifice. You could have done other things. You could have been somewhere else. But there is, uh, I've heard preachers talk about a sacrifice of fellowship. It's not always what we want to do to gather together before the Lord. It's not always what we want to do to say hi to one another out here in the hallway. It's not always what we want to do to hang around a while, make sure somebody else is okay. Those are sacrifices that we make. And so that altar represents for us this submitted, yielded life to God. And on that life, this water and wine is poured out, but those bowls can't hold it. And so it runs out. It runs out from there. It pours out from there. That was what was going on when Jesus stood up and said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. All right, so the water that is poured onto and essentially through that place of sacrifice is, a, is representative, it's a representation for us of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The other, the big message of this whole feast, it's the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. Why? Because they made these places to live that reminded them we didn't always have a place to live. And it's commemorated at the same time that God gave the design 
for his tabernacle in the wilderness so that he could dwell with and in his people. When the Holy Spirit came, when Jesus died for our sins, and we receive him as Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, that is God getting to dwell in his people. The Holy Spirit comes and actually lives in us. We are now the tabernacle or temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it all? And this also looks forward. There's this this unbelievable. They, historians said, if you didn't, or they wrote, I guess, near the time anyway, they said, if you never saw the rejoicing that happened at the Feast of, of Tabernacles, you've never seen rejoicing. It was this ultimate, exuberant, physical praise that went on. And when we think about Jesus said, heaven rejoices, over one sinner coming to Christ. I don't think we have a concept of what the rejoicing is going to look like in heaven, even in the millennial reign. But once heaven and earth are together, once God is living permanently with his people, it's, it's not like anything I think any of us can really imagine. And this feast points to that too. And so in the midst, it's almost like, well, in fact, Let's look at a couple of verses of scripture here. Um, this goes back, I want to I back up just a little bit. One of the things that when the water was poured out on the altar, you guys still with me? When the water was poured out on that altar, sorry, checking the time, we're good. One of the things Israel remembered was the water flowing from the rock in the desert. Again, What do we say? Presence, protection, provision. One of the things they remembered was when they they came and they get out into the desert. Remember, I mean, we like to criticize these people. They didn't know God. They didn't know God. He had brought them out of Egypt, but they didn't really know him. They were glad to get out of Egypt, but they saw a couple things there. They saw protection. They saw especially as the plagues went on. Remember, there was a transition where all of a sudden it's dark everywhere in Egypt, but their lights were on. Frogs in everybody else's house, no frogs in their house. Apparently there weren't any French people among them. Uh, Sorry, sorry. Uh, Actually, that didn't come out the way. I was thinking of eating frog legs when I said that. That was even better than I thought. I'm French, by the way. Um, But... You know, so there was that transition where they had that protection. Certainly when the death angel came through and they'd put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. They'd seen that, but they'd also seen a bunch of plagues. They'd seen hail. They'd seen earthquake. They'd seen, they had a day where they went out and all the cattle and everything had been killed by hailstones. I mean, they'd seen some stuff. And and so they get in into the desert and they're going along and all of a sudden they've got no water. And they're complaining to Moses. This is Exodus chapter 17, by the way. Just going to look at verses 6 and 7, Exodus 17, 6 and 7. And, and so they complain to Moses, and Moses goes to the Lord. And, and so here's what God said. He said, Behold, Exodus 17, 6, Behold, I, God, will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and there you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it so that the people may have something to drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
Okay, so, so part of this feast, when that water's poured out, one of the things they remember that God did for them in provision was providing water where that was impossible. He provided food too, and I don't want to go there. He provided meat in the evening and bread in the morning for 40 years. But, but from this rock, Jesus is our rock, right? Poured out this water and they were able to quench their thirst. They were able uh, to drink this water. But here's, this is so interesting. He says, it says, Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Masa. All right, he gave it two names. Masa, many translations say it means testing and that, that's correct. But it means testing in the sense that God proved himself. It, it's like sometimes we want to we check, and this is in the New Testament too, part of the idea of testing in our Bible is not, we're going to check and see if this actually works. It's that something is being proved, is being shown. And, and so there was this idea, he said he called this place where the water poured out of the rock, uh, the Amplified Bible just says, Masa calls it proof. It is proof. And Meribah, contention because of the fault finding of the Israelites and because they tempted and tried the patience of the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So in their hearts, they were even as the water came, they were saying, is God with us or not? God proved his faithfulness to them, proved he fulfilled the, he he demonstrated his faithfulness to promise. Let's say it that way by taking care of them at that place in the desert. And so when this water is poured out on the altar, this is one of the things they remember. But it's so interesting to me. So let's take it into our day. Are you able to follow this? Uh, uh, Take it into our day. Well, we're looking at this. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out. Well, one of the issues with the Holy Spirit coming into and upon believers is that That is demonstration from God, proof that the work of Jesus was accepted. And it is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to come and live in us, just as he said. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says this. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result, believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The one promised by Christ, you were stamped as owned and protected by God. The Spirit is the guarantee, the first installment, the pledge, a foretaste of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchased possession, his believers, to the praise of his glory. So it says that the Holy Spirit coming into our lives says he is the seal of the promised, he is a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He is the seal that shows that we were owned and protected by God. That word seal in the Greek comes from the seal that a king or a ruler would use to, to seal a message that was going forth. All right, so the king's stamp. You've all seen it in the movies. You know, they put wax on something and the king stamps it. And what that emblem means, it is the king declaring ownership or possession of a thing. 
So we become his. We become his family. And the Holy Spirit being poured out on us is the seal. It's the proof of that. It is the emblem of uh, authentication of a message. So the fact that the Holy Spirit came into your life when you gave your life to Jesus authenticates you in the spirit realm. The devil knows who you are. The devil knows who's inside of you. Not everybody around us does, but in the spirit realm, you are sealed. You are authenticated. It also speaks of when that seal was on a message that was being sent out and going forth, it spoke of protection. It said, don't anybody open this or you will, you will uh, be accountable to the king. You will be accountable to the one in authority. Does that make sense to you? So the Holy Spirit being poured out is all of these things. And, and it's also that seal spoke of a certainty of delivery or a certainty of the final outcome. All of that is wrapped up in the Holy Spirit coming into and upon his people. And here, when, that, when all that time back, when, when the people complained and God poured water for them out of that rock, and then all of these years that that was remembered in this ceremony was remembered, it spoke of us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And God had them. This is what I love about these festivals. God had them actively participate in demonstrating these truths in a physical manner year after year after year and generation after generation, pointing back to what he had done and pointing forward to what he would do. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. So it says there that the Holy Spirit was a seal on our life. It also says he is the guarantee of of full payment. That word guarantee literally means earnest money. Any of you who have taken out a loan for a home or something, you have to put down earnest money. And and what that means is the, the purchaser is giving a token of their commitment to fulfill the pledge, to fulfill the promise, to fulfill the contract. That's what the Holy Spirit coming into our life is. It's God's pledge for, for now you are filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's coming a day that's going to be even better than what we have now. There is coming a day that is going to be more full where we dwell with him even in a, in a physical uh, sense. That makes sense to you? So it just is amazing to me. So he called this place proof. Are you still with me? And he called this place contention. And it's interesting to me that when the Holy Spirit is manifested, when the gifts of the Spirit flow, when there's a big outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where there's a big revival and the Holy Spirit is moving, there is always contention. There is proof. People get healed. People get set free. People get born again. All kinds of things happen. God demonstrates what he's doing in magnificent ways. And there's always contention. And it has been this way throughout history. I'll give you just a couple of, couple of examples. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, through the discerning of spirits, cast the devil out of a little girl that was following them around and, and saying what was true, but it was a devil. And he discerned that, cast her out. They ended up in prison for, uh, for casting out this spirit and setting this girl free. Jesus casts out the demons of the man at Gadara. The people asked him to leave their 
region. Jesus healed the man at the pool of Siloam, was persecuted by the religious leaders. Jesus healed the man born blind. Religious leaders persecuted him and his parents. Um, Jesus healed the hand with the guy with a withered hand in church. They threatened to throw him off a cliff. Okay, proof, contention. All right, Peter and John healed the invalid outside the temple. Both he and they were persecuted for it. All right, wherever we see, this is just the way it is. When we see the Holy Spirit uh, being manifested and God's love and life being manifested, the world doesn't like it. And honestly, religion doesn't like it. And usually most of the persecution comes from religious people or entities that don't want their system messed up. And that's the way it is. So we've got a, we've got a decision to make. You know, which way are we going to go? What are we going to value? Who are we going to be? Are we going to receive everything that God has offered to us? Are we going to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and, and everything that Jesus has offered to us through the Holy Spirit? Because this is this whole age that we're living in, ever since the day of Pentecost until whenever Jesus shows up again, that age is the age for believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be going out into the earth and to be carrying him and carrying his presence and seeing the miraculous happen and honestly gathering that harvest that this festival is all about because God loves the harvest. And when we look out so much of the time, we're looking and, and you know, it looks like, oh, people don't want to hear this message and this and that. It's always been that way. To some degree, it's always been that way. Yeah, is our society getting harder? Yeah, it is, but not harder than other places and other things that God has dealt with. The Lord loves his harvest. When Jesus looks out on things like that, he said, man, those fields are white for harvest. We just have to have some trust that God wants to use us. He wants to dwell in us. He wants to live in us. He wants to use us. So where we're going with this, I'm just going to wrap it up, is that it has always been, there's never been a time where God, from God's end, separated the gospel out as just a, a better message, a better philosophy, a better, uh, even, even a better set of moral values. It is. But it was never supposed to be presented that way, ever. We'll just finish with this verse. First Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. So the Holy Spirit, we know that God's working among you because the gospel didn't just come to you as a set of words. It didn't just come to you as a philosophy to believe. It came with the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. So, so wrapping it up today, I just want you to see when Jesus stood up, the reason he stood up in that time and in that place was because this was this greatest day of this harvest feast and launching into the age in which we live. What he wanted us to know is that Anybody who believes in me, all right? It's available to you for living water to pour out of you, not just to reside in you, but for my spirit to come upon you in a way that you can't contain. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, 
Lord, we're talking about something culturally that we are not familiar with. Most of us here are not familiar with. We're not that familiar, most of us, with the feasts and the festivals of Israel. And I'm going to pray this morning that over the coming days and weeks, you open some of what we talked about today, Lord, some of what we, we, we got into this morning, Father, that these truths, these images would come alive in us. And the fact that, Lord, you had a people, you had a people practice what we get to live in. You had a people get together in festivals and prophetically hold what we actually get to live in generation after generation after generation. God, in that I see your grace. I see the fact that you know that <laughs> that we're like puppies. Sometimes we forget. God, that, that Lord, but you remind us and you bring us back and you show yourself faithful. Father, we get, we get your presence. We get your protection. We get your provision. And Father, we know there's more coming, more than we can imagine. So Lord, I just pray in all of that, Father, that we as a people, we are submitted, we are yielded to you. And that, Lord, we are those altars, those places, Lord, not making sacrifice for sin, but Lord, leading the submitted life so that you can just pour your spirit on and through us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. Did you get anything out of this? All right. Um, no, I guess not. Uh, so if you need prayer, come on up after church and we're going to be dismissed. I just encourage you to hang around, make sure everybody around you is doing okay. All right. Say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.